Throughout our show, we have toured and talked about some of Cincinnati's best-known haunted hotspots. Tonight is another one of those shows. We are joined by artist Tom Miller, who has not only lived next to one of Cincinnati's most haunted hotspots, but also created a comic about the experience, The Screaming Bridge at Maud Hughes Road. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I am your host, Kat Logo, and tonight with me in the shadows are Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. And uh, also, you can follow us on social media at Cincinnati Cabinet of Curio on Twitter, at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And as always, please share your local hometown haunts, creepy cryptids, and other interesting weird history about your hometown. You can share that with us at hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. We are an official podcast that can be heard on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and SoundCloud. We know a lot of you like us on SoundCloud. Thank you so much. Find us by searching Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities, and please rate and review us there so other spooky and weird history lovers just like you can find us. There's a link in the show notes. All right, a little bit about our guest tonight. Uh, Tom Miller is a professional illustrator who started his career at Ohio Magazine as an assistant art director. This is when Larry Flint owned it and they shared an office space with Hustler Magazine. There must be lots of interesting stories from that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He has spent years contributing to games, video, card, and RPG art. He also does concept art for various local agencies and teams up with his brother illustrator ron miller on various projects too tom also did the cover art for the first issue of the cincinnati cabinet of curiosities comics anthology in 2020 for fun he collects autobrijes and lucky cats and he also has a goofy four-year-old standard poodle named cosmo all of his web and social media links can be found in the show notes hello tom welcome to the show hello (laughs) glad to be here yeah, this is exciting. So we're, we're tackling one of Cincinnati's best known urban legends. I almost want to say it's the king of urban legends around here. But before we dig into Maud Hughes Road and its screaming bridge, I want to know a little bit more about you and what brought you into the world of art and also into the world of the strange and spooky. Okay. Well, um, as far as bringing me into the world of art, I mentioned that my brother is an illustrator. So he went to art school <clears throat> before me. And much to my parents' chagrin was the day I came and said, guess what I want to do? I want to go to art school, too. And um, yeah, so sort of followed uh, right behind him. He graduated the year I went into school. And um, I I found some pictures the other day uh, that my mom, uh, who had passed away, had kept all these things from us. I found a drawing from second grade of rocket ships and spacemen and Mars and things and uh, a grade card that said, I need to pay better attention in classes other than art. So I guess it was just sort of, it was meant to be for both of us, I guess. Yeah. But we actually have, it's sort of a family thing. Cause I have a cousin who's a graphic artist, an uncle who's an architect and uh, another, an uncle, another uncle who's a um, uh, graphic designer too. So it sort of runs through the family a bit. Oh, that must make for fun family reunions, being yeah. able to talk about what you're all into. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is my extended family are all scientists. So like, okay. like chemical like 
not chemical, what food chemical engineers or, <laughs> or, or weather scientists for NOAA or geophysicists wow. and all these. And I'm like, I draw comics. <laughs> so, well, somebody's yeah. got to do it. Somebody's got to do it, too. but I like how you have all the artists together so you could just share and geek out about stuff. And you have done a lot of stuff. I do have to note, I read through the long biography you sent us. And as a Sims player, a, a very dedicated Sims player, I do like the fact that you worked on busting out for Sims. That was fun to do. It, uh, I Because I had worked for a video game company here in Cincinnati. Uh, that I was there for exactly three, three years to the day before we got shut down. And um, <clears throat> when uh, they closed them down, the fellow who owned it, uh, Sinjin Bain, he went out to California to work at Maxis. And mm -hmm. about a year later, my wife took a job where she had to move a chemical plant from Las Vegas to Fresno and build the new plant. So, mm -hmm. of course, we all went along. And when he found out I was out there, uh, he wanted to know if I'd be interested in, you know, working, uh, you know, on the Maxis uh, Sims game. So I would commute uh, on Sunday night up to Walnut Creek outside San Francisco. And then uh, on Friday night, drive back to Fresno for the weekend. Um, but it was an interesting experience. I mean, it's like going from a very small game company here in town to mm -hmm. Maxis, which was the entire floor. We were like a fairly compact team on busting out. We probably had like three or four artists and, you know, maybe a whole team of 20 people. And there were about 120 people working upstairs on Sim City. Oh, wow. Know, so, yeah. So, it, but it was kind of like working on a movie. Um, you know, they would... Uh, about five or six o'clock, they would come around and ask you what you wanted for dinner and they would bring dinner in, which sounds very luxurious, but of course it really just meant you didn't have to leave your desk mm -hmm. and you could keep on doing art, you know? So, but it was, mm -hmm. but it was a lot of fun, you know, um, my kids got a kick out of it, you know, being able to play the game and I made a, an avatar of me uh, oh! in the game. Yeah. So they were, had like a favorite shirt I had. I made the texture and uh, some of the glasses and a beard. Huh. Uh, and uh, much to a little bit of annoyance, one day I found one of them playing busting out, and they had me kind of walking and bumping into a corner in the room. <laughs> you know, so, oh. <laughs> it's like, hey, <laughs> oh, that, that, yeah, but, it was, but it was a lot of fun, though. That is, and I know from the Sims community, busting out is looked at with a lot of very positive nostalgia. Oh, cool! And there's actually a campaign going on to bring back a lot of the items from that pack. Oh, into so sims 4 so we were actually just talking about that in the sims community this weekend we're like oh, what would you want to bring back and busting out stuff was a lot of the recommended so oh, when i saw cool. that i keyed in on that but i know christina <laughs> probably keyed in a lot on you being a creative detector <laughs> creative detector a creative detector <laughs> like there it is what's it's a new right role <laughs> creative director <laughs> I detect creativity from you. Um, for was it Raw Partha Miniatures? Raw and yeah, you did a bunch of game and magazine art. Yeah. And yeah, I, I know a lot. Of, yeah, I know a lot of our listeners would be interested how you landed a job doing game art. Um, well, uh, yeah, it's a good question. I actually don't even really remember. We had just moved. Uh, in a torturous kind of way, um, my wife actually had a four-year scholarship in creative writing at Ohio University. This really okay. does relate. Um, by the way, did you ever watch The Queen's Gambit? 
I did. Okay. Well, the guy who wrote that, Walter Tevis, he also wrote The Man Who Fell to Earth with David Bowie. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he was one of my wife's teachers at Ohio University. Oh, wow. Small world. So that was kind of cool. But uh, she, she, on the other hand, she's a really good writer, but um, she did not um, have the, she had to have the muse speak to her, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's like, and sometimes she can be very fickle. And so uh, she actually went back to school and was going to get her master's in technical writing instead, but four and a half years later, and two children. She had her degree in industrial systems engineering instead. Wow. Yeah. Go figure. Wow. Um, surprised everybody. That seems like uh, quite that, a switch. It is. It was. So that was at OSU, but then GE moved us to Cincinnati in 1988. Okay. Uh, so that's how I ended up here. And uh, I have really no notion, quite frankly, of how I, how in my memory, how I found out about Ralph Partha. They were a tiny little business right behind the old Cincinnati Gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the paint plant down there. They used to come over all the time and give us free car washes because of the detritus that would fall from the sky on our cars. Right. And um, right next to us was a uh, metal plating company. So we had heavy metals on one side and <clears throat> paint production behind us. <clears throat> and uh, in the meantime, the air would smell like cherry and peach because of the flavor company, which ironically, my wife is the uh, director for North and South America for that company now for hazardous materials. So oh, wow. it kind of all swirls together. But yeah, yeah I really don't know how I got in there. Um, but it was fun because we were doing like battle tech type things and all the AD&D figures were being done by us. Um, you know, so it gave me the opportunity. I was able to do, um, I didn't do a dragon cover, I did a dungeon cover for Dungeon Magazine. Okay. Um, <clears throat> that I asked my sister in law if she would mind posing as a witch in front of a skeletal dragon. And she went, Yeah, sure. You know, no problem. You yeah. Know? So she, I, I, give, I ended up giving her the painting. So Ooh. she had the painting. But there's all sorts of weird things here. About two years ago, I got contacted by somebody wanting to know if I still had that painting or not, and they wanted to buy it. And oh. so I gave my sister-in-law the option. I said, you know, if you want to sell it, it's up to you. I don't have it in my house anyway. She goes, yeah, sure, I'll sell it. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy from California said, um, you know, I'll give you $2,000 for the cover. And I said, sounds good. I asked Laura if that was enough. She said, sure. And then the guy sent me a check for $3,000. I have no idea why, but so I, so she got her 2000 and I had a thousand dollar handler's fee. <laughs> I guess so. Just yeah. really enthused that he got that. I mean, yeah. You know, I have no idea how he tracked me down or why he wanted that particular painting. I mean, I, I liked it, you know, mm-hmm. but I can't believe like 20 or 30 years after I did it, that somebody was you know, take the time to, you know, look for it. Well. So much of this stuff now is done digitally. And I I say this as a digital artist, I work almost completely digitally. So getting that handmade cover that's hand painted is really special now. Yeah. And it was big too. I mean, it was about, you know, probably about two and a half feet by, you know, two feet wide. So it was a good size painting. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, I don't know if he'll, he'll ever the dragon was supposed to be scratching runes in the rock and all the name, all the runes on the rock are my kids' names and my wife's name and everything on the rocks. So I don't know if you ever translate and go, why was the dragon scratching Barb and Zach and 
Ben into the rocks. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a fun little Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. kind of like on the, on, when I was working on the, in the video game company in Cincinnati, when we were doing Return to Crondor, there was a path you could take, uh, sort of an Easter egg path. And uh, we had recently, my family, Barb and the kids and I had been at uh, Blackwater Falls over in West Virginia. And I had a great picture of the four kids sitting on this rock together. And um, if you go down this one path, you go by this big rock and there's my four kids sitting on the rock in the game Return to Crondor. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's fun to leave that stuff around, you know? Yeah. So I know people but, who play games like me love finding little Easter eggs like that. It gives it some little personalization Yeah. that you don't usually like most players may just kind of go, huh, but others like <laughs> appreciate that. I, I mean, yeah. geez, ready player one, that, that entire book oh, sure. is about that. So um, yeah, it, it, it is a big thing in nerd culture, basically. Um, yeah. So well, I mean that was kind of funny during that time at Ralph Parth. It was when I was also doing the BattleTech stuff, and that's uh-huh. where Christina and I had this weird interconnection because I had actually designed some mechs for the BattleTech game, and years later, when she and I finally met, she had done some artwork based on mechs that I had designed. Oh you know? wow! Yeah, so just weird. It's Cincinnati, you know. We told people when we lived in California. Uh, that California was the biggest small town that we'd ever lived in because everywhere else, if you do the whole Kevin Bacon thing, it's like six degrees of separation. And it's Mm -hmm. like 1.37 in Cincinnati, you know, you just, (laughs) it's, it's just, I mean, it's just kind of crazy. I mean, a perfect example was when I was working, I was working at another agency and we had a uh, freelancer come in who was a video editor. And uh, when he did, um, we were talking the first day we were doing stuff for Ethicon, so all this medical surgery stuff. And we're talking about the thing. And then, of course, we're just doing the work. So we're just chatting and we start talking about family. And I asked Rick, I said, oh, you know, what does your wife do? He goes, oh, she just works for this uh, little company in Blue. I said, well, what kind? Oh, it's a chemical company. So, wow, my wife works at a chemical company, too. So really, in Blue Ash, and he goes, yeah, it's called Michaelman. I said, my wife works at Michaelman. Yeah. What department is your, is your wife in? Oh, it's the environmental department. My my wife was his wife's boss. It's like, you know, I mean, really, it's like, wow. What the hell? Yeah, that really but is. But, too but, it's, but that's so Cincinnati. Yeah, you know? it is. Yeah. If we find little ties about that. A fun, a fun thing is my neighbor who works in like accounting at one of the larger companies around here mm-hmm. somehow knows Kevin necessary. And I just brought up, I think I was talking about editing the, the comic anthology for this year and talking about Kevin's work. And he's like, oh, I know Kevin. I'm like, how do you know Kevin? <laughs> but yeah, they've run into each other. And I think Kevin must have done something for their company at one point. And met, yeah, and I, I think Kevin and I have some sort of bizarre sort of thing like, I don't know, like ley lines or something, but ours appears to meet at Lucius Q. Because the last two times we've run into each other has either been outside Lucius Q or in Lucius Q. I just saw him about uh, three weekends ago when they had the big thing with the, you know, the big wheels going down into the straw and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that just seems to be a spot that we're apparently just drawn to, to be, you know, to see each other. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, ley lines and other spooky things, do you have an interest in the paranormal? 
Well, I, I do. I mean, I, I have, I've only had probably, I've actually seen more, and when I say UFOs, I mean that in the literal sense of truly unidentified flying objects. I don't think that they were, you know, uh, alien visitors, but they were certainly something that, uh, you know, I found inexplicable, you know, within an e for an easy explanation. But in terms of more of a supernatural, the probably the weirdest thing that ever happened was when my father-in-law passed away several years ago. Uh, I was up there the day before he passed away. And at one point, uh, my wife and her sister, you know, I was giving them a break and sitting with them. And he sat up all of a sudden and grabbed my hand and said, the failure, the experiment was a terrible failure. We have to tell everybody and warn them. And then he laid back down. And I'm, I'm like, Norm, what, ex what experiment? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to this day, you know, I mean, he never brought it up again. And he passed away the next day. So he took that secret to his grave. So unless we get a Ouija board out and maybe try to find out what he was talking about. Yeah. It's like, what the what? But then about exactly a year later, um, he had uh, um, a computer that he was not very proficient with. And so all of us always would help him on things. But uh, when he had passed away, we, you know, had his list of friends on there. So we sent out the note that he had passed away and we were having a memorial service. And um, then uh, my son, uh, he, he ended up getting the computer. And the next year, um, I woke up at about uh, four in the morning for some reason and noticed that there was a text message from his computer that was to the day that he died and it oh. was sent out at three in the morning which is about the time he passed away that sent out the message that he had passed away and it went out on the mailing list to all the family and friends and i asked my son about it because he's in it and he goes he goes because i i had that thing wiped but even so i wasn't up at three o'clock in the morning to send that um you know you know, my oh, wife's wow. like, well, dad, dad just wanted to say hi, you know, so. Wow. Yeah. So it was pretty weird. That, that's, that's a, those are two very good stories. Yeah. Thank you for pretty, sharing pretty, those. Pretty yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other one I have is actually probably falls more in the, under the, uh, you know, sort of St. Paul on the road, you know, to Damascus mm -hmm. when he gets struck because we had a very, very close friend who passed away a few years ago that I knew back in when we lived in the state of Delaware. And uh, we used to sit up like till three, four, five in the morning talking. And there was a whole group of science fiction fans that hung out at his house. Um, he wrote several books. In fact, my wife worked as an agent for him for a while. And he had this whole series of books about Samurai Cat. They were just hilarious books. And, um, uh, but Kate, his wife, had her, her PhD in medieval philosophy oh. from Notre Dame. Oh. She talked about a very, a very niche uh, sort of thing, but she taught at the University of Delaware and uh, you know, philosophy, ethics, and that sort of thing. But we, yeah, but we were very, very close. Uh, he's my uh, oldest son's godparents, and we're their youngest son's godparents. And, um, and consequently, a lot of discussion would tend a lot of time there because of the science fiction fandom, sometimes being more skeptical and things would turn around to religion. At that point, you know, we, we had not had kids yet. We did, it really wasn't much of an issue for us, but Kate and, and uh, Mark, very, very, you know, very serious Catholics. 
and my wife was cradle Catholic, but sort of like, you know, well, whatever. Um, the, uh, so several years later, we'd moved back to Ohio. And in, in fact, in what the book that my wife sold for him, his first book, it gave a whole list of people, you know, dedicated to, and I was in the list at the very end, the last paragraph is leave Tom Miller out because he moved back to Ohio. <laughs> so, but he would, we would talk to each other, you know, four or five in the morning. Cause we know we'd be up painting. So at the time, um, you know, I, of course, there was more questioning when you have a kid about, you know, what is your role in the world and, 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 and you know, faith and things like that. And um, one night I was having this very vivid dream um, back at Mark and Kate's house back in Newark, Delaware. And we're talking about God and we're going around and around and around, you know, kind of like keep just, you know, doing all these you know, circular arguments. And finally, I just said, look, Mark, let's just cut to the chase. Is there a God? And he said, yes, there is a God, not his voice. I heard it and it woke me up and I sat up in bed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, later that year, I enrolled in RCIA program. That was 36 years ago and still Catholic. <laughs> so it took. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, yeah. Yeah. Spirit speaks to the strangest places. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So there was that. <laughs> Yeah. Otherwise, most most of the other things have been odd visual sightings and things like mm-hmm. that. You know, um, you know, uh, out one night with a friend back when we lived up in Columbus, and um, we're walking. I had an Irish wolfhound at the time, and we had her out Ooh. walking, and she uh, was you know out in this field. And we, I look up, and there are like this little V of white blobs going over us, kind of pale, uh, look like they were lit maybe from underneath. Mm-hmm. probably might have been geese but on the other hand i've never seen geese flying at night when they fly we used to be on a flight way when we lived out east and they honk you know, especially at night yeah it was just this silent blob of v's that glided over us and disappeared into the haze wow, wow. <laughs> that's just spooky yeah yeah, yeah that was kind of kind of weird um and uh, the other, when we were still out in California, uh, we had a, a exchange student staying with us for a couple of days and they had gone into the local, either Vons or Ralph's or something and um, looked up and there was this like a little white dot in the sky. And, um, you know, thought, you know, during the day, if you know where to look and it's really clear there, you can see some stars during the day if you know where to look. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, it could be that, but it's awfully more not like lit white but not lit not a light source mm-hmm. and um so thought okay well if it's something up there i rested my head against they had a roll bar on our forerunner because you know if you're looking you can see something moving in the sky once the earth is turning and whatever this was was just hovering it just stayed there <clears throat> and uh even when my wife came out i said take a look at this she saw it so whatever was there was just hanging up in the sky uh, to the point where you could tell that there was a volume to the object, but not certainly anything of like what it might be. Hmm. Um, now, we were near Vandenberg Airport, not Vandenberg, but, um, uh, oh gosh, no, Vandenberg's the uh, mil- missile one, the one's up in the high desert where they occasionally did land the shuttle, yeah. uh, Edwards, Edwards Air Force Base. And... Um, Shortly after that, they had said that they did an autonomous um, UAV uh, drone 
flight from Edwards to Australia. And with these things, they can put them up there and they can like control themselves and pretty much can hover in one spot. Mm-hmm. So, and people think of a drone and they think, you know, they've got these little drones and things. The drones that they fly like in Afghanistan and things like that are about the size of a World War II B-25. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're big. Yeah, they so, are. Yeah. So I don't know whether we saw a drone practicing out of Edwards, but, um, you know, like three or four of us saw it and, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. Cause I, I don't know when drone technology was really developed. I don't know if that's yeah. something we can actually look up now, but yeah. they would explain a whole lot of UFOs that you, that people around air force bases have seen. Yeah, it um, would. Even like the V-shaped one that you were talking about. Sure. Easily yeah, we, can be we replicated have, we, by we, drones. Yeah, we have a friend who's a Navy F-18 pilot. Um, and uh, he was, I was asking him about all this, this flurry of naval, you know, uh, videos and things. And he goes, yeah, we just keep seeing some weird, weird shit out there. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, my, my brother was kind of very skeptical. He goes, why is it, you know, everybody can get these clear shots and all these things from the, you know, the military are fuzzy. But I had to explain to him that they're, they're getting different kind of data. You know, it's the FLIR data, the forward-looking infrared, and mm-hmm. it's not meant for clarity. You're getting other information and data from it. Um, but yeah, there's just some weird stuff going out there. And it's just very peculiar. The military is like really big on... Yeah, we don't know what what this is, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, cool stuff out there. Yeah, so. I've I've not seen a UFO. Um, I participated in something that was reported as a UFO once. Oh, cool! But okay. my husband <laughs> has seen a UFO out That's near sweet. Grissom Air Force Base. So, and I know him, and if you said he saw one, I think he did. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have no doubt. I mean, I have a friend who's a, a, a skeptic, like a professional skeptic, practically another artist. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because, you know, I, I think there are, you know, people, I also have another friend, a video, they're both video editors. And this other video editor, <clears throat> I mean, honest to God, believes that the moon is an artificial construct and that there are 200 million people living on Mars at this time right now. And that, I mean, and it kind of goes on and on from there. I went to the point where I was trying to finding the most obscure conspiracy theories just to see if I could, it became a game to see if I could find one that did not fit into his complex, torturous worldview. And um, they all kind of like somehow Tetris themselves together in some odd fashion. Um, but, uh, But the other guy is like, is almost... I don't want to say as bad, but he's so far at the other spectrum in his skepticism that it's no more sound in its reasoning than the person who believes everything is the person who believes nothing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because, you know, I had told him about, <clears throat> you know, one other one I we actually had a drive-in in California, just these two red dots separate from each other that just went over us. No strobe light, no rotating beacon, no navigation lights, no red on one side, green on the other, all the other things that you have on, on aircraft. And uh, we take the kids, I think, to see cats and dogs. And my wife and I watch these two red lights just go over silently and disappear into the north, uh, north of Fresno. And he goes, oh, they were flares. I went, no, no, they were not. He goes, well, how do you know? 
And so, you know, when you have that kind of argument, you know, it, it isn't an, even an argument, but it's just like, you could have maybe said some things and gone, was it this? But he goes, but his fall ball, he's back, was well, it's flares. Right. Yeah, no, it wasn't flares. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it was. Um, I don't know if that made him happy, me saying, no, I really don't think it was aliens, but I do not know what the hell it was either. Mm-hmm. But it was something, you know, definitely out of the ordinary. My, my mom and dad were both pilots. So I spent mm-hmm. a whole lot of my childhood at airports. And even he was a lieutenant in the civil air patrol. So around military aircraft, mm-hmm. whatever this was, it was not, it was not normal. You know, it was something, something, definitely something odd, you know, so but um, yeah, so I, it's funny having either end of that, you know, where believing everything and believing nothing, you know, yeah. I think you just have to have somewhat of an open mind, you know, about these sort of things. Yeah. You constantly know. be learning and having a healthy wanting to question origins yeah. of things is also good. Yeah. But right, you, I, yeah, like you said, you can go too far one or the other. Yeah, I mean, because my brother and I kind of get into this. We, you know, we like even though we do the same kind of art and work together, <clears throat> there are several things that we are diverge apart on. And one of them was, you know, like the scientific method. You know, it's all about repeatability. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be able to have an experiment, and it needs to repeat itself so you can get meaningful data and then find out why it's happening. And it's an incredibly important method to help us explain what's going around us. I said, but I asked someone, they said, what do you do with a singular event? You know, mm-hmm. it's non-repeatable. It just is what it is. And he mm-hmm. goes, well, then it's probably not worth thinking about. I went, well, wait a minute. <laughs> that and, seems and, a little. <laughs> and the thing little, that always uh, drives me a, a, a little nuts about the scientific method is that that's for hard sciences like math yeah. and chemistry and astronomy it doesn't account for the soft sciences sure. the humanities cultural anthropology yep. sociology and psychology and yep. and those we're still teasing things out of and, oh lord yes yeah so yeah. linguistics too like there's um that linguistics is my background and you can have singularities and have like strange little one-off words that get developed and dropped really quickly slang is like that like you may have it used for a hot minute and then it's dropped and no one ever repeats (laughs) it again so and there are anthropologists and linguistics linguists that will study that and uh but yeah that's really hard to repeat and especially with folklore a lot of it our really old folklore that we've managed to collect has all been oral tradition that yep. also gets exaggerated on with every retelling and small little details get dropped. Oh, it's and like also, cultural, t- cultural telephone. It is. And it's great when you take little segments. Like I love looking at old studies of um, urban legends from the 1960s and 70s back when they really were just starting to collect all these stories as pop right. folklore basically and seeing how we still have the same skeletons basically of stories right but the backgrounds and the characters although the characters will largely be the same because you're dealing with a motif they do change it's like the hero's journey sure basically right, exactly. like so king arthur and han or luke skywalker did the same journey it's yeah that so 
that that was my small little soapbox about the scientific method. Yeah, no, method. I mean, there's certain things that, that the human <laughs> the human condition is always going to be you know important, but always not necessary necessarily explainable. Yeah, <laughs> easily. Yeah, and that's what makes great science fiction and fantasy because <laughs> we get to delve into those. On our talk about urban legends and how stories change. We want to highlight Maud, the Screaming Bridge at Maud Hughes Road, which is one of the king urban legends here in Cincinnati. And before we bring Tom back on to talk about his experiences with the Screaming Bridge, I wanted to give our listeners a little bit of the history of the Screaming Bridge and why it has such a key part of Cincinnati folklore. So sources for this portion of tonight's show is the Journal News of Hamilton, Ohio, the Union, Union Library Journal of Hamilton, Ohio, James Willis's StrangeAtSpookyWorld.com, the Historic Bridge Foundation, the Cincinnati Enquirer, and of course, everyone's favorite, Creepy Cincinnati. Thank you. So nestled within the hills of Liberty Township is Maud Hughes Road and its bridge across the train track. A vehicle bridge that spans over the Norfolk and Southern Rail Line that runs through Butler County. Originally, the first bridge was built in 1911, and it was rehabilitated again in 1991. Originally, it spanned 111.9 feet with a deck width of 24 feet. In 2014, crews fixed the sharp S-curves that led up to either side of the bridge, in addition to replacing the bridge altogether. The new bridge is a single-span concrete I-girder bridge compared to the former beam bridge. You can reach the bridge at around the uh, 6300 block of Maud Hughes Road in Liberty Township. However, locally, the bridge is known as the Screaming Bridge and is one of the many crybaby bridges that are dotted around the state of Ohio. Known to, <clears throat> no one knows when the bridge got the Screaming Bridge nickname. One theory is that the original bridge was grooved in such a way that caused a screaming sound as you drove over it. There are many legends tied to the bridge, of course, ranging from engine explosions to phantom mothers throwing their infants off the bridge. If you're hearing a spooky sound of a toddler, that is in fact my actual real toddler. We'll go... <laughs> We'll go through some of the stories here, but they all have one thing in common, hearing someone screaming at the bridge. According to one story, which reads like this, a typical crybaby bridge story, a young woman walked onto the bridge and threw her baby over the side, killing it. It is said that if you drive over the bridge, in addition to hearing the mother's ghost screaming out in anger and sadness over what she did, you will also hear the cries of a small baby coming from under the bridge. This is from Jane, James Willis's Strange and Spooky World website. He actually has a crybaby bridge project going on right now. If you have your own crybaby bridge in Ohio, you can submit it and look over at James Willis's website and see it's already submitted. But you can also put your story in as well. He actually talked about it on episode 10 of this very podcast. The interesting thing that James did note is that this crybaby bridge motif is a very new addition to the repertoire of haunted legends of the Screaming Bridge. One of the best known stories is, of course, the Phantom Train. One of the earliest tragedies linked to the bridge goes back to a railroad accident in which two men were scalded to death on their locomotive while they were going between Westchester and Gano. However, the accident was in Westchester. Chester Township, formerly Union Township, 
Ahmad Hughes Bridge is in Liberty Township, yet somehow the accident became attributed to this area. In 1909, an accident killed two engineers and injured three others aboard a train on October 24th. One of the engineers was killed off duty, hitching a ride back home to Middletown, where the steam locomotive exploded. It could be a scream locomotive, too. Who knows where it is now? It has been fully loaded. It had been fully loaded with water when it left Ivorydale in Cincinnati, but after about 11 miles out, a leak had drained most of it, causing the explosion. That accident wasn't the only tragedy along this stretch of track. On June 7, 1976, at, a, at Princeton Road overpass in Liberty Township, a Penn Central employee was killed when two rails protruding from a southbound work train penetrated the cab of the North Brown locomotive he was on. The overpass is the next bridge south from Maud Hughes Road Bridge, only half a mile south on the same train line. The engineer who died was James E. Finley. He was 42 at the time, as it was written in the Journal News. Finley was killed instantly. He died of injuries suffered when the train on which he was working was rammed by the rails of a track of the track being hauled on the passing train. The two-engine Penn Central train was headed north when it passed a southbound work train carrying the rails of the track. The rails struck the northbound Penn Central train, two rails ramming into the control cab of the first engine and one driven into the generator of the second engine. The rail Entering the control cab killed Finley and injured the train brakeman and fireman, Terry Hillard and Kenneth Loshef. Hillard and Loshef were treated and released from the hospital. The two-engine Penn Central train continued moving for another 300 feet after being rammed with the track rails. A flagman and a conductor were uninjured by the accident. If it went up another 300 feet, that means that it was closer to the Maud Hughes Road Bridge. So. There are many, many stories talking about a phantom train, and here's one of them. One wrote, I was there when a train passed under the bridge right around midnight. Me and like four other people on the train is going under the bridge, and we all, all see small orbs floating along the sides of the train. There had been, there had to be 20 or 30 of them just floating like bugs, but they were orbs for sure. After the train passed, we all noticed that in the distance, a large orb orb floating along the tracks. The orb continued to float closer to the bridge, and when it was about 50 feet off, it stopped, morphed into a humanoid-like blob, and drifted into the woods to the side of the tracks. 100% true story. Cannot explain it to this day. Everyone there seen exactly the same thing as me. Another report writes, Someone else reported seeing a phantom steam train approaching the bridge, even seeing its bell ringing on the locomotive and feeling the heat from the steam drifting off the engine as it passed under the bridge. As soon as it passed the bridge, it disappeared. Besides the phantom train, we also have a reported 36 murders and suicides are said to have happened off the bridge. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. Witnesses have reported seeing hooded figures, shadow figures, mists, apparitions, and phantom lights along the bridge and the train tracks. The legend reportedly has been around since the 1960s and spread through the local high schools, according to some sources. These are in the comment sections of a lot of these uh, online newspapers that I found. You can also see a phantom female walking along the bridge on a full moon, and she is the one that actually has been reported since the 60s. 
A ghost of a woman hanging from the bridge has also been reportedly seen. A couple, another story goes, a couple was walking over the bridge while arguing. The man pushed the lady over and she fell to her death. Uh, strange orbs have been seen floating along the tracks, as reported earlier. One person claims to have seen a, heard a scream before witnessing an apparition of a woman in a white dress walking along the railroad tracks below the bridge. Uh, another urban legend is a man and a woman whose car had stalled on the bridge. The man got out to look for it, and when he came back, he couldn't find his girlfriend who had been left in the car but her purse was still there. Um, the man looks around the car, looks down the road on either side, trying to figure out where she is, but then can hear a familiar creak sound, looks down and his girlfriend has hung herself off of the bridge. This is a very common urban legends motif. Uh, also, speaking of common urban legends motifs, if you stop your car and flash your headlights three times, an X-Men will come out of the woods and attack you. Somebody had claimed on one of the random forums that I read that not only did the Axeman come out of the woods, but then leaned up on the back of the car and then disappeared. I, mm, urban legends, everyone. Not, uh, we're going to keep topping these urban legends. I can see Tom's laughing on the video screen. A fatal accident with a busload of children. <laughs> Sorry. A fatal accident with a busload of children when a driver lost control of the bus and the accident killed all on board. Now it is reported that when you cross the bridge, you can hear the screams of the children dying. <laughs> Nuns and puppies next. No, thankfully we never get there. I am sorry, everyone, that I am laughing, but the, the stories just get more and more exaggerated as we go on. Um, drivers who pass over the bridge on old, old Maud Hughes Road report hearing the screams of a girl who's believed to have been to have killed herself by jumping from her boyfriend's cart. Now I'm just repeating that, just edit that bit out. Um, so those are some of the very great. We gotta just end on the child school bus thing. Those are some of the great stories coming from Maud Hughes Road. It seems to have been a major hangout back in the 60s and 70s to hang out underneath that bridge with your teen friends probably smoking and drinking and with that christina jen and tom let's come back and discuss maud hughes road and its screaming bridge i don't know but that was a wild <laughs> ride that i'm here, I'm here. I, I just that i was i was working on my cintiq so i had to like Reek about oh. and 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 uh, by the way, Tom, if you're wondering, that's we nuts. do we do do editing, so yeah, this will be oh, lightly edited. Yeah, so we edit. Yeah, we if edit you notice, things. I took a lot of pauses when I was. Yeah, so it's easier oh, I don't for know. I think cut. I think raw. I think raw. That's pretty priceless. So. <laughs> I like the nuns and kitties though. That we're we were that close to having nuns and kitties participate yeah, or nuns sure. and puppies participate yep. in this. Um, I love just like just like the portal to hell that Christina you right. talked about in yes. the first book. Mm -hmm. This one almost is equal to maybe inches above the ridiculousness of urban legends. It's like when I was reading through this and putting it together as a dossier, I'm just like this is a bunch of middle schoolers trying to one up each other on stories they've heard about 
Maud Hughes wrote. It does sound that way. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, <clears throat> thank you for hanging in on with the with that list. So, oh, Tom, great. you used to live in the area, correct? Yes. Yeah. And we walked. We walked along the tracks there. You know, I mean, there certainly are a lot of beer cans and the teenage detritus, as it were. No <laughs> bodies, but but certainly like a teenage spore left behind. Yeah, yeah. You know, sort of like deer scat, but uh, beer cans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, Jen, you had that experience with that abandoned mattress and couch. So at a different uh, location. Yeah. Um, ah, yeah. yeah. So what are the locals yeah, I thinking worried of about that area? <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it was actually, I mean, we, we lived in Dutchland Woods, which we backed up to, um, oh God, I can't think of the name of the road, but it's the one you turn off of and go right to the bridge, ran behind our house. So the tracks were literally, I mean, when we were on our back deck, we could see the trains going by. And certainly at night, I mean, they, the closest crossing, I believe, was Tylersville Road. Because um, after that, there were all overpasses over the highways mm-hmm. and things like that, or underpasses in the case of Maldives Road. But they sent, tended to blow their whistles a lot. And it was, I mean, it was an ethereal, spooky, you know, ephemeral kind of sound and everything. I think it's probably one of the biggest things I miss living where we are now is not having the train nearby, um, mm-hmm. you know, but it in itself made for very evocative um you know almost romantic kind of feel to it you know when they would go by but i could certainly see with the whistles they're not as high pitched as like the ones in europe those things just screech Mm -hmm. uh really do sound like banshees on the loose but um even so um yeah it you know and it would tend to get foggy up there a lot you know so it's a very you know spooky moody place along that you know that area Mm -hmm. you know so and and but, well, yeah, um, when James was here, he talked about the book that they were ra- writing about the screening bridges because it's mm-hmm. uh, like any urban legend, you know. And when you're a kid, that you have a lot of time, it seems like to walk around, uh, you know, bridges and and you explore a lot more than you do as an adult. And so I could see where the stories would come from. And and trains make all sorts of weird noises. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, and if you live close to one, they just any time of day or night, you all of a sudden hear the horn and the squealing's the loudest thing. Like I went to UC. Oh, the air brakes and all. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. went to University of Cincinnati mm-hmm. and you could hear from, you know, the Mill Creek Valley, uh, the the squeals at night. Like, yeah, the, the train the, yard. Yeah. Whenever you sure. were walking around, you heard those high pitched squeals from the trains and it does kind of have a, especially on a hot night when it's kind of foggy and, you know, it has that evocative feeling that you were describing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So you wrote about an experience or kind of for the, for our recent Cincinnati cabinet of curiosities, you wrote about the screaming bridge. Oh, for the, the new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, you know, I mean, I always found it fascinating having lived close to it. I, you know, it's one of those things I was kind of jealous that I haven't seen, you know, swinging bodies and orbs of light, but it was still always fascinating because it was such a, um, like I said, a topic of conversation in the area. I mean, it would come up, you know, people would go, oh, you live near that or even within our neighborhood because we had a lot of kids uh, at that time. Our kids were, you know, all like, you know, like uh, 12 to four years old. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, my seven-year-old daughter went down to the creek that kind of goes along there. And uh, she and her friend managed to walk like one mile up to the next road. And someone calls and goes, do you know where your seven or eight-year-old daughter is? I said, well, I thought she was here. You know, so certainly, you know, because of the spooky elements, I think the people probably there tended to lean a little more towards the uh, potential satanic rituals and things and having their kids snatched up and eviscerated Ah. and that kind of thing, rather than the more... Uh, lurid, um, you know, hangings and things. I think they were more worried about them stumbling into something, you know, mm-hmm. nasty that would happen. But it was always, you know, kind of a little bubbling under the surface and would, a couple times a year, the topic would come up, you know. So that's why, you know, when we were doing this, um, you know, I'd originally, because of the fact they do a lot of science art and things, I was kind of leaning towards the, the serpent mound because, I mean, it has its own fascinating history of cars dying and the fact that it was made by a meteor you know meteor impact is in the middle Mm -hmm. of a crater from you know 230 million years ago i mean it's like the eighth largest crater in the united states is in southern ohio of all things Um, but having this nearby it just you know just a lot of lurid images was well it's just way too appealing (laughs) you know yeah just Uh, like satan's hollow yes exactly you know, so well, and then uh, the know. ubiquitous quality of all of these urban legends. Uh, after we did Satan's Hollow, after doing a little research, New Jersey has an even bigger drain system that's got urban legends about satanic cults and stuff. And so, oh, sure, it, everywhere, every legend you find, and how many screaming bridges did James say there were at least 50? In Ohio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, you can look at his crybaby bridge and screaming bridge list. And I, I think I know it's in our sources list for this episode. And yeah, there's easily 50 and they're all over the state, but um, a lot around Cleveland and Cuyahoga and then a few down here. So, yeah, it, it's and I always love hearing that what the locals who are living near the area that the urban legend takes place at at what their thoughts are on it i mean i read a few comments in uh newspaper articles comment sections basically and you take that as you want but some locals would pipe up and say yeah it's really annoying when people park in our driveways and then go (laughs) walk down the bridge and there's nothing there so i like having that uh insight though into an urban legend because we usually get caught up on all the fantastical things and forget people live there right mm-hmm. and, yeah. and 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 are quite rude that that's a problem with satan's hollow as well people get very angry when you block their driveway to go right. yeah and so to get I, to it you have to go through private property as well so <laughs> i do have a question tom when oh you yeah live there uh and you were talking about the uh satanic rituals were you living there in the 80s and 90s uh, we weren't there till no. We were we didn't move there till like ninety two, and yeah. so a lot of the satanic panic was kind of over by that time. Yeah. But I think that there was still because of the high school nearby, there was sort of you know that's I think parental teen angst of you know <clears throat> of somebody kind of almost doing see more of a copycat. Not that there were actual satanic rituals, but somebody copying the idea of the buzz in the air about satanic rituals. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like a dot it's kind of like a satanic domino effect, you know. It is. <laughs> of you know, somebody wanting to do something to go, hey, you know, what if we did this? 
you know, so people would think it type thing. So yeah. I, I said that was probably the biggest concern to people in the area because uh, we weren't close enough that, and there, you know, that people were parking and walking all the way there or something. But there was, like I said, that undercurrent of concern of mm-hmm. kids, you know, because it was very walkable from our house. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jen, I think I cut you off. No, I can you hear me? Okay, you guys yeah, keep yeah, freezing. You're kind of- you okay. kind of freeze every once in a while. Um, yeah. Okay. Those. Um, I'm pretty sure when we were at St. Tallow, I got sick from the heat. So I had to sit down and Katie was with us. She was kind enough to come back with the car and pick me up. But while I was sitting there waiting and trying to not die of heat stroke, there was a guy across the street. I think he was filming me just to make sure I wasn't doing anything. I'm like, dude, I'm just sitting here. <laughs> I have a yeah. right to sit on a curb. You don't own the street. <laughs> to be but, to be a fly on their um, next door bulletin board. Oh man. There's some I know, people walking I, around. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I understand. We I get pissy no, when people are around my house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about when we were at the dollhouse graves, we had the caretaker come and question us as to why we were there. And then that ended up becoming history walk through the cemetery. Yeah, he was was quite happy to tell us about everything there. Yeah. Yeah, he was really nice. I I liked him. Well, I can, you know, when you're on uh, stuff like that, some people are somewhat disrespectful and stuff. So you can understand why they were. Oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. By by the way, oh, yeah. I, when you were, yeah. I watched the video. I watched the video with Kevin Necessary prior to this, and uh, you know you were talking about weird synchronicities and things like that. You know where he was watching the uh, episode of um, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you know he sort of like was able to tune into the TV guide uh, ether and find mm-hmm. out what was going to happen. I had a weird thing happen the other day, and this definitely falls under not earth shaking or anything but just really weird um ages ago there i mean i'm showing my age here but there was a fun movie that came out like in the early 80s called high road to china with uh tom Selleck and bess armstrong and uh, it it was just uh directed by a guy did where eagles dare great adventure going to china and all these exotic locales 1930s uh indiana jones kind of a thing and i thought about you know, seeing if I could find the movie sometime because I remember really enjoying it. So grounding this, I'm cleaning our basement the other day, which was just a hell hole in itself. If you wanted hell on earth, well, my basement was close to it. There's definitely a whiff of brimstone. So I'm, I'm listening. I got my iPad playing music and they're playing some music. I thought, oh, I like that. And I can recognize a lot of film composers because I really like film scores. And it sounded very John Barry-like, you know, who did James Bond movies and Zulu and things like that. So I go over to the um, uh, my iPad to see what's playing, and that's what was playing was huh. the score the High Road to China. But wow. the weird part, the weird part was I was cleaning my basement. That's what was in my hand. <laughs> wow, that's was spooky. the videotape that I didn't even know that I owned that I found on the shelf and I picked it up just as that played on the, on there. And I walked over with that in my hand. So, you know, I said minor, but it still was like, well, that's pretty weird. You oh, know, that's the, synchronicity, the synchronicity spooky. gods are working overtime on that one, you know? So, 
We're just so did you watch it? Today. I don't have a VHS player. Oh. <laughs> it's an actual, it's a VHS tape. So I was actually thinking of going, because I actually still have a lot of VHS tapes uh, of some movies like Freaked and things that are just not available anymore. Uh, going to like a Goodwill store and see if I can just pick up a VHS Actually, VHS has become super like collectible lately because so many people have gotten rid of their VHS uh tapes and stuff so oh, i got boxes and boxes still yeah we got rid of ours a couple of years ago and we're terrible about even we have a huge dvd collection and we never ever watch them because really? we just I'll, I'll stream something really bad on youtube like a bad copy of it before i'll dig my dvd out i know that sounds <laughs> terrible but it's just one of those things and we should. I mean, I used to love to listen to DVD commentaries and stuff, and I just never do sure. anymore. I mean, podcasts have usurped, you, you know, that that bit of learning about that movie trivia, trivia and that sort of thing. Um, so your video or your video might be worth something. Maybe if you put it yeah. on eBay, maybe maybe Goodwill's not the place to put it. Put it on eBay. Oh well, no, no. I was no, I wasn't good. I was going to go to Goodwill see if I could find a VHS player. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, to find the player. You know what? I yeah, just saw so, one at a garage sale like a month ago. Did you? I'll yeah, they were selling all of their old videotapes and a VCR. So, so bringing us back to the bridge. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> off of the tangent, we're climbing up towards. So I did want to actually note a few things for our listeners yeah. about the bridge. One, there are a lot of accidents that have happened on this bridge. So I was going through the archives, just looking up accidents for the train line and also the accidents for uh, along the road. And there are so many, I cannot report on all of them. And wow. the S curves are largely to be at fault. I know I did dig up some from the union Liberty junior journal uh, newspaper, but also looking on Google earth, you can look at the bridge, the brand new one. And it has these, very high black side fencing along the side of the bridge. So now you're no longer able to just jump or fall from the side of the bridge because they've put up a lot of safety fencing, right. which is good because that's a live train line. And also remember everyone, don't go on live train lines. That's how you die. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I don't know how many stories about ghost hunters or um, people enthused and urban legend exploring we call it legend tripping that will go onto these live lines and not be able to get off of them in time and get hit by trains <gasps> whoa oh, sure that yeah. has happened a few times in the past decade um so you even when i haunting the yeah, line you become part of the tale in a way you did not expect <laughs> Um, this happened in a local place in Rhode Island when I lived there. I happened to be outside. I could hear the train whistling and there was a very quick boop sound and it had been a teenage girl. <gasps> so you actually heard it. I, yeah, it's, it was a very fast pop sound because that's what you will do on one of these engines. You will just explode into a pile of flesh. And yeah. they were finding Aww. pieces of her along the route. This is ironically the second train death I've actually been around. So that's interesting. Oh, I am not laughing and finding this funny. That was a nervous laughter of me realizing I've been around a lot of train death. But um, 
Yeah. So that's why I put my little caveat here of uh, don't go visit this place. It's dangerous. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, Tom. Yes. Though so you have a story really quickly. Can you listen or can you listen? Can you tell our listeners like a really quick synopsis of your submission to this year's cabinet of curiosities? Yeah, um, I well, I just went through and found um, you know some of the highlights of Cat pretty much covered most of the most of them on there. Uh, I was fascinated by well, I mean this is the um, here's the sketch Ooh. for the the intro with the exploding and the two engineers scalded to death. Yeah, um, you know so um, uh, so kind of hitting the highlights. Uh, so it was going to start off. I my my thread for this. Um, is that, um, let's see, where do I have it in here? Is the, uh, da, 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 the locomotive exploding. Oh yeah, and my, my kind of the stream, the, the stream through this is, it says, and thus began the legend of the screen bridge in Maud Hughes Road with death and destruction. There are many types of screens, delight, surprise, and even ecstasy. This tale has none of these. Darker forces and emotions are afoot. And then we move on to, the different kind of screams. We got the woman dropping the baby, and after it says hers was a scream of misery and remorse. And then having the finding the hung woman, and his was a scream of loss and despair. Um, and then the Satan's Hollow. Well, I have when Satan's Hollow is already booked for a night of devilish reveries, revelries. It is said the worshippers gather under the bridge for ritualistic sacrifices and summon summonings. And that one was so. There, there's our screams of exultation mixed with mortal terror. So it's going <laughs> to have that the, the wrapping sort of like bringing the different type of screams that you're hearing. Um, you know, the ghost train and motorcycle, and these are the screams of speeding vehicles, and kind of wrapping it up with um, you know, then at the end that the bridge has been updated, but that there are still you know reports of mysterious orbs and lights and things and that type of thing. So mm -hmm. yeah, so it's kind of going with the scream theme, as it were, you know. So I like um, it though. That is yeah. very fitting for that bridge. Yeah. So, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think there's a single story here that you, cause it's, I pretty much have the train exploding, the, 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 the mother and the baby, the couple on the bridge, um, and Satan's hollow, well, not Satan's hollow, but the, uh, ritual sacrifices and ghost trains and motorcycles. And yeah, so that's, those are kind of the yeah, highlights. You got everything. So you can yeah. actually many, many more, you know, I'm sort of jealous now that I'm not doing a school bus full of people dying, you know, horribly, <laughs> you know, so yeah. I was just trying to figure out, like, how did this work? Because apparently there is a school bus stop sign, like, to, or a school, yeah, a school bus stop, comma, sign. So Sorry. when you're approaching the bridge, it, it warns you that there's a school bus stop ahead. And somebody just heard that urban legend about the school bus stopping on train tracks and just took off with it. <laughs> so, um I, I probably not realizing that the school bus actually would not have gone across the train tracks. Yeah, it would have been kind of if it had gotten down to the tracks, there was already a lot of problems there. Well, even if it yeah. didn't get hit by a train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 The the death would have occurred before the train arrived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been kind of the PAC resistance of it, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well. Yeah, any more questions? Let me think of it. I'll cut this out. Because I, I had <laughs> thought of a question and now I can't remember what it was. Um, about the ghost stories, car accidents. 
mayhem, murder. Nuns and puppies. Nuns and puppies. <laughs> so, many cats. Things, so many things Basement to choose cats. from. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a Baskin uh, Robbins 31 flavors of urban legends is, here. It is. Um, we got something for everyone. <laughs> you like satanic rituals? We got that for you. Like random yeah, women. It seems like that, that white dresses. Its, it works its way into so many myths and stories i guess it's that darkness people like the 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 dark aspect to oh sure and so so you always kind of add the satan thing sure um, yeah you know it's 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 you always it, i think the one-upmanship you were talking about that happens in urban legends and tales and and that yeah. sort of thing is what is, is what makes that so prevalent yeah the uh, thing this one's missing is the dare element to it oh, so yeah. like you'll have a lot of times this uh local cemetery will have a nefarious headstone mm. and kids will dare each other to go in and touch it or stay there for an hour or stay there at midnight and mm. we sure. don't really see yeah. that in this case but we do see a lot of adolescent participation at the location yeah. and um, some people that i was reading their accounts about the place did say that they saw a lot a of um animal skeletons around the base of the bridge which brings up a point that i like to remind a lot of people who are legend tripping of the existence of foxes and how when they scream they tend to scream like humans and especially their kits and what is around this train track and bridge forested area and what likes to live in forests foxes so what does the fox say inaudible screaming that you mistake <laughs> as a ghostly woman that's what the fox says that's interesting yeah that's, that's a good thought yeah yeah and if you're out west it's mountain lions i thought okay. of what i was gonna I, I thought of the question i was gonna ask i was gonna it What's was that? it was more going into uh your art career um yeah. and and you had mentioned before um that you're a huge fan of jules verne and that your brother oh, yeah. actually did a translation of was it uh 20,000 leagues and yeah yep have you done a lot of Jules Verne because I mean talking about speculative fiction and yeah. and visions actually of not enough I mean you and like I were and... in that show yeah you and I were in that show in London and that was really fun to do because I think a lot of it was I was glad I was kind of able to kind of help point away for you because everybody thinks of 20,000 leagues out of the sea or you know around the world in 80 days the kind of highlights of of his books and things but they but he had written wrote so much so that's why i was excited like when i found the one about the uh um you know about the travels to the antarctic and things and you did the one of you know the steam elephant in india that was really fun um, to illustrate yeah i mean there's just such a wealth of imagination of things to uh to pull out from his work so mm-hmm. um yeah i would love to do more <laughs> just, have figured out a way to uh to um monetize it <laughs> you know? well and, and speaking Maybe. of monetizing you were also thinking of uh kickstarting a, a sketchbook are you still considering yeah. that yeah because um, uh, you do I like daily sketch uh the daily sketching workouts yeah, the, the, yeah. yeah and all, all the sort of uh and and they're really brilliant um we'll have to post some of them here um <laughs> I have uh, tom to does show this. sketches every day and they're just really uh enjoyable to to follow and so yeah, the, the, been... some of the highlight of logging onto social media is seeing the sketches and yours yeah. too christina <laughs> well By the I, way, mean... I have to 
I have to wow. show you this, by the way. This is eight and a half by eleven paper, Oof. and that's the stack. That's the stack of drawings of the daily sketch workout. Oh yes, that's that is a pile. Three, that's about that's about two hundred and fifty drawings right there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I have a lot to lot to draw from, as it were. No pun intended. A lot of editing <laughs> to go on, and and that sort of thing. Exactly. Yep. Plus, I've been working with some friends on uh, doing a Kickstarter of a of a of a board game too. Ooh. So um, that'd be kind of a, a fun project I'm right in the middle of now. Kind of already got the board designed, and uh, I'm having some people doing some preliminary play testing for it and stuff. So um, it's kind of a Lovecraftian board game. So Ooh. yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. So everybody's been very positive about it so far, but uh, you know. We'll see if it could be another exploding kittens, but probably not. <laughs> well, you know, I, a lot of people talk about comics and that sort of thing being Kickstarted, but really one of the biggest areas of Kickstarter is board games and card right. games and that sort of thing. And as a matter of fact, a friend showed me right before the show started this game on Kickstarter and it looked pretty nice. It raised over a million dollars already. So, oh wow! I mean, it's amazing how much you know people are into into this sort of thing more than like if you do a book or a comic or whatever there's just a huge following of people that are into board games so right uh and it you know and it, it is one of those things that's kind of hard to make if you have like a lot of pieces and, and that sort of thing the manufacture of them is getting more and more complicated uh trying to source all the pieces and that sort of thing Although right. yours is mostly card based, isn't it? Uh, it was going to be, but it is, no, it is an actual board game. So mm -hmm. uh, I plan on a future card version that can be played with it. But uh, I was going to do the entire thing, but I think I've decided just to go with the basic board game first. And then uh, once I can figure out how the card element works, then would offer that as a, like an upscale or, you know, or that you could add to it if you wanted to make the game more complex and a little more cutthroat than mm -hmm. what it already is normally. So, because um, the, the game pro itself is kind of, it's like an ancient game and literally you could play it and I, somebody worked out the math to it where it would never end. There, there it doesn't have to ever, ever end. Or it, the average time is about 15 to 20 minutes on the other hand. So, <laughs> so it's got a wide. That is a very wide. wide. It is. Wait, it I mean, obviously, you know, that's that's the goal is to have something that's playable, but yet fun and competitive, like in under an yeah. hour. Exactly. I could see Twitch streams of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. <laughs> so when Tom comes back, he'll be telling us about his Twitch stream of his new board game. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Yeah, but we'll any, <laughs> anyway on that note i think yeah, we yeah. wrap it up because that's a great place yeah. to wrap it up and, and a great place for you to tell us our your social media yeah handles um okay uh instagram is is tomokato 1969 t-o-m-o-k-a-t-o 1969 so uh actually that was a friend of mine i was telling you about that did the 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 samurai cat books the character is tomokato miyawara and my ah! wife used to always my wife used to always call me Tom, Tom Cat, and then it kind of merged into Tomokato after our friend's Aww, experience. That's sweet. So, and then uh, the uh, website is atomicart.com. 
That's A-T-O-M-I-C-A-R-T.com. And uh, that's that's pretty much all I have. Well, on Facebook, I guess Thomas O. Miller on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the only places I really do anything. So I probably should be doing more, but I can't think of what it would be. So <laughs> That sounds wonderful. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode oh. of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities, the Hometown Haunts podcast. You can follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram, and Hometown Haunted Mail at gmail.com to submit your own personal ghost stories, urban legends, or other weird history from around your neighborhood. For Jen and Christina, good night and stay weird. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys.